0: This morning, we are going to continue in our journey of becoming together. And um, we're continuing to learn how we love one another, how we serve one another in humility, and that is how we grow as a church. We grow individually, and we grow to serve, right? And then we serve so that the kingdom can grow. So we grow to serve To grow, right? All right, so we're going to continue, and we're going to be serving, actually, today, after we leave here, and we do the ALS challenge for for our friend Freddie and Sabrina. Uh, That is service. That's what we're talking about. That's what we've been learning about. And if I'm going to eat a stinking ghost pepper which is, which is, I think, what we've narrowed it down. That's what we're going to eat this afternoon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing you are. <laughs> we do it because we serve one another. Because we love each other. And we want you to participate in that. After we're done, if you don't know, um, there's some folks over there right now getting hot dogs ready for $5 a plate. Come over, give them five bucks, eat some hot dogs and chips while we're getting ourselves psyched up for our thing. And, and everybody else is still going to be doing the ice bucket challenge. Like We're going to have the stuff for you to be able to do that. Um, and so we want everybody to come and be a part of that. It's always a great time. And that is part of what we do together as a family as we're learning. This morning, we're going to continue in this idea that the key to growing and becoming the church that God wants us to be is to grow in our humility and our service. And so today we're going to hear from the greatest servant model that we have and that's the Lord Jesus himself. So I want to be real transparent with you this morning as we're starting. As I was preparing for this morning... I spent a long time trying to come up with a great story to open the sermon with. Because that's just sort of a thing that you try to do. Everybody connects with stories. Everybody, You try to make a great application that people will leave. And remember, I was thinking and I spent a couple of hours just trying to come up with a way to figure out how to start. And then it hit me. I kind of had a... A duh moment, and this is what hit me. Um, who loves basketball? Just raise your hand. Everybody loves. It. All right, I like basketball. I don't know that I'd say I love basketball because I'm horrible at it. I'm I'm totally was always bad. Never was good at basketball except if I'm playing video games. I'm a little bit better. I can throw down some NBA Two K with my boys but even then I'm not that great at it but if I decided I wanted to be great at basketball and I wanted to learn who would be the greatest example or the greatest teacher of how to be a great basketball player that I could go to (laughs) everybody's got different answers let me just tell you well yeah of course he says Jesus I'm pretty sure Jesus could, could beat Steph Curry in a three-point shootout. Or beat Jordan in a dunk contest. But the right answer to that question is Michael Jordan. That's the correct answer. Yeah, no, no, it's MJ, definitely. But if I wanted to learn how to be a great basketball player, I'm, the, the best place to go would be to go to the GOAT, right? Don't know what the goat means, greatest of all time. So Jordan would be the goat of basketball. So it hit me that if we're trying to find a great story about servant leadership, the text that we're going to be reading this morning comes straight from the goat of all time. Greatest of all time. Jesus, hello? Is there anybody any greater... To learn humility and service from. No, Jesus is the goat, period. The story is the story. The text that we're going to look at today is our example. It is the application. There's no greater example. So I want you to find Mark chapter 10. We're going to go into Mark chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to talk a little bit about greatness. And what is the kind of greatness that Jesus says is the greatest of all greatnesses. We're going to look specifically at verses 41 through 45, but before we do that, I need to give you a little bit of background to set up those verses prior to what Jesus says in 41 through 45. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus has had an encounter with the rich young ruler already, and many of us are familiar with that story, which again was a lesson from Jesus in humility. The point that he was trying to get across to the rich young ruler was that humility is required. To be a servant in God's kingdom. And now Jesus is traveling with the twelve. And he's heading toward Jerusalem. And while they were traveling. Jesus begins to talk and share with them. And he begins to talk to them about the suffering that he's about to endure. He knows that the cross is coming. And he knows. He is anticipating what's about to happen to him. And he begins to try to give the twelve a little bit of insight as to what is about to happen. His arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. So, right after that, either because they weren't listening to Jesus talk, they weren't really listening to what he was saying, or they didn't completely understand at all, James and John come to Jesus and they ask him a question. And they basically say, Jesus, we have something that we want from you and we want you to give it to us. And Jesus says, Well, what do you want? And they say, Jesus, we want you to take, when you take your place on the throne of your kingdom as Messiah, we want you to give us the two greatest places of honor beside you and let one of us sit at your right hand and the other one of us sit at your left. These two still had not understood that the kingdom that Jesus was bringing was not an earthly kingdom, but it was a heavenly spiritual kingdom kingdom. Eternal kingdom. And they still misunderstood what Jesus was trying to teach them. So after they asked that question, Jesus' response is Are you ready to go through the suffering that I'm going to go through? He had just explained to them and been trying to open himself up to share this is the suffering, this is the path to the kingdom. For me bringing in the kingdom, it's going to be a path of suffering. And they say, well, can we sit on these places of honor? And Jesus says, I don't think you know what you're asking. Are you ready to endure the same suffering that I am? And you know what their answer is? Yes. Yes, Jesus, we're ready. Which, again, is an indication that they completely didn't understand what was about to happen. They had their own ambitious agenda that they were trying to get a jump On, and they were trying to get a jump on the other 10 to make sure that they were the first ones to call dibs on these places of honor that they knew would be established if Jesus came to sit on the throne. They were chasing greatness, they were chasing after greatness, and they wanted to get ahead of everybody else. So, following this private discussion that Jesus has with James and John, we we pick up in verse 41 and we see what major principle of greatness Jesus is about to teach them and what he's about to teach us. Look at verses 41 and 42 of Mark chapter 10. It says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. That means really, really angry. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So immediately here in verse 41, we see what the result of selfish ambition and self-promotion is. It's competition. It's competitiveness. And, And what we find going on here is... An example of what happens when selfish ambition weeds its way into the body of Christ. Competition springs out of that. The other ten, it says, became indignant. They got really angry when they found out that James and John were over to the side with Jesus trying to, to weasel their way into these two positions of honor and leadership. But I want you to understand that the other ten weren't angry because they were offended by the fact that James and John would do this. They weren't angry because, oh, why would they want to do that? And and that they were offended morally at what was going on. The reason they were angry is because they didn't think of it first. The reason they were mad was not because they thought it was a bad thing for them to do that they were just mad because those two got the jump on them and they weren't the ones that were getting to have this conversation with Jesus it's almost like do you remember the, the very few times I've watched the television show The Bachelor y'all have watched The Bachelor before some of you have some of you haven't I'll be honest I haven't seen a little bit of it but it's this thing where there's this constant competition to try to, ooh, I have to get to the girl or get to the guy first so that we, uh, we can make this connection. They always use that word connection, and, which is insane. But they, it's all this competitiveness to try to get in so that they can have these private conversations and make these little allegiances and alliances and stuff. And that's kind of what's happening here. The, the, the rest of the ten are mad because James and John got to Jesus first. They had the same competitive desire for honor and prestige that the other two did. So this is where the spirit of competition can sometimes be birthed in the church. Not just within our local congregation. It can happen within our family if we're not careful. But even more than that, it, it grows into our relationships with other churches. We become ambitious not so much for the sake of Jesus' kingdom, but for the growth of our own kingdom. And we have to be very, very careful of that. Because when we're more concerned about the growth of our own kingdom, if we as a family become so consumed with our growth as of the kingdom of First Baptist Lindale, we can become threatened by God's growth in other congregations. The growth and development of other people and other ministries leads to comparison and anger and resentment. And folks, can I tell you that is a trap of Satan? It's a sin. It's sinful to fall into that trap. And I have to be transparent with you that that battle of comparison is... Probably not fought more rigorously by anybody more than pastors and church staff. It is a pitfall. It is a pit of quicksand that we can very easily fall into when we begin to compare our houses and our little individual kingdoms that we're building all over. And we become resentful and we become competitive and Jesus says that doesn't build the kingdom, actually it tears it down. So if I were to tell you that even me, in my years as youth ministry, and probably in the years that I'll continue as a pastor, that I'll never battle that, I would lie. Because it's a, it's a very strong battle. We have to fight that battle against comparison together. So when Jesus sees this begin to happen, he begins to see this rising up among the 12, he again attempts to teach them the reality of his kingdom. So look at, and, and look at verse 42 again. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He starts out by, by saying, you guys know that the leadership style of the world Is this way. And really, to be honest with you, that's the same way it is now. The leadership style of the world then was very much the same as the leadership style of the world now. I mean, let's be honest. It's the American dream. The American dream is work hard, use your influence to climb the ladder of success and promotion until you reach a pinnacle where you no longer are working to serve someone else, but everyone else is working to serve you. Isn't that the American dream? It's the American dream, but it's not the kingdom dream. This is what the world chases after. That's the greatness that the world desires. But Jesus quickly corrects them, and he shows them the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Look at verses 43 and 44. Jesus says, not so with you. You know the kingdom, you know the kingdom view of the world. You know how the world builds its kingdom and Jesus says it's not to be that way with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus corrects them as if to say, forget the way of the world. Forget everything that you've been taught Forget the greatness that you've been chasing after all your life because now you've been called into a new pursuit of greatness that is completely different. It's the kind of greatness that says, I don't have to be first. Actually, that's not even right. Just mark that off. That's not even correct. It's actually a greatness that says, I don't want to be first. There's a difference between saying I don't have to be first and I don't want to be first. Not the way the world sees it. Jesus is not teaching us, though, that we should not desire to be honored by God in the kingdom. So here's the difference. We it, It'd be real easy for us to read that and think, oh, well, Jesus just doesn't want us to pursue anything. Is it that, is it that kingdom greatness is just to... To sit by and and let everybody else advance and me do nothing? Well, no. Paul even said that honor in God's kingdom is something that we should strive for. Honor that we receive from him. Um, In 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, it says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. Paul says our goal should be to please him. We have a goal. In this pursuit of greatness in the kingdom, and that's to please the Lord. And then when Paul was getting near the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Greatness in God's kingdom should be something that we pursue as believers and as a church. But the path to that greatness and the kind of greatness that we pursue in God's kingdom runs directly opposite to the direction of greatness that the world chases after. And we can't get the two paths confused. And it's so easy. It's so easy. For us to get confused and to think that as a church and as a ministry we're pursuing greatness the way God wants us to. But we're really following the model that the world has set out. And Jesus says don't try to follow. Don't try to be great for me in the world's system. Because it won't work. You have to, you have to go opposite to the way the world pursues it. Jesus uses the words servant. And slave in this text. And these words invoked in these men images of people who performed very menial service tasks for people who were in authority over them. Many slaves were regarded more as property than they were as people. And the primary purpose of a servant or a slave was to tend to the service of another person. Who was regarded as their master. To call yourself a servant was a respectful self-depreciation. And self-depreciation is not something that the world teaches us to pursue. So we can understand why these men would have had a difficult time putting themselves in this category. There were three main classes of people in this culture. And the twelve would have fallen in that middle class of people. And what Jesus tells them is for them to be great in the kingdom, rather than pursuing and trying to climb up to the upper class, they were to take on the attitude of the bottom class. They were to take on the heart of someone at the bottom Rather than seeking to be the master, Jesus says that we should regard everyone else as our master. This is the task that God has assigned to me as your pastor. This is one of the things that God is teaching me in leadership. He's assigned this task to me, to our staff, to the deacons of our church. And anyone who is in leadership to be models of leadership in the way we serve each other and the way we serve you. That's how we will become great. But again, there's only one greatest when it comes to this greatest greatness. And it all is summed up by Jesus in verse 45. For even the Son of Man... Did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who became the greatest servant was the greatest master. The the one who had to come to teach us. The one who gave us the greatest example of of a servant was the one who was the greatest master. He he came to give us that example. Um, No one could set a better example of this upside-down principle of greatness. And really, when we call the principle upside-down, I think we're fooling ourselves i don't think we can even really call jesus example upside down because to us and to the world jesus example looks upside down but because jesus is creator co-creator with the father and the scriptures say that everything was made by him and for him i'm pretty sure that really means that the ones who have an upside down view of greatness is us not jesus because jesus is the creator. Jesus' view is always gonna be right side up, y'all. Jesus' view is always gonna be right side up. So if we ever have problems comprehending or understanding or implementing Jesus' view of the kingdom, it's probably because it's our view that's upside down. So we have to change our view, we have to change our perspective. Of what greatness is. And let me just ask you. You folks who are part of the family here at First Baptist Lindale. Do you want First Baptist Lindale to be a great church? Do you really? You want this to be a great church in the kingdom of God. Then we have to change our perspective about the way we think. We won't be a great church... Because we have huge numbers of people. We won't be a great church because we have to build bigger buildings. And we won't be a great church because our budget gets bigger. We also won't be a great church because we have the greatest staff or the best programs and ministries. That anybody can offer. We'll be great because Jesus' glory is seen in us by the way we serve each other and the way we serve this community. So, if we want to be great, if we want to be this kind of great, if we want to be Jesus great, that's how it will happen. We'll be a great church because our service and kindness will give us a platform to share the gospel and tell other people the great news of God's plan to fix the world and save us from sin, which is what we've been called to do. So the greatest greatness is not what we think it is. It's Jesus' model of greatness. I don't think Jesus wants us to try to climb to the top of the ladder the way the world does. I think it's more of a picture of Jesus asking us to stand at the bottom of the ladder and hold it for everybody else. Jesus says that is the greatest greatness.